0: Just a little devotional thought for you. By the way, good morning. Y'all looking pretty out there. Um, Handsome as well. And, and, uh, you know, we read the Bible a lot, and we read Genesis chapter 8 today. And, you know, I sat down to read early this morning, and the first three words just said, whoa. And it was simply this, God remembered Noah. And I go, whoa. Whoa. mean, he'd been in that ark for four, four months. He was in the middle of a storm, right? A raging storm. He was still in that storm. And he would be in that ark for maybe another seven to eight months. But in that storm, God remembered Noah. Now, I don't know whether God told him that or not, but God remembered Noah. And it just spoke to me that in the middle of our storms, whether we know it or not, God remembers us. And God has made promises to us. And we know that Noah held on to the promises that God had given him. And and we need to hold on to the promises that God has given us, right? He promised us that he'll work all things out for the good, right? He promised us that our present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that one day will be revealed. He promises us that in all things we will be more than conquerors, right? So even in the storm, just know, if you're in one right now, because I wrote in my journal God remembers Steve, right? He sees what you're going through, and he cares what you're going through. Just three words, right? In Genesis 8, I didn't know they were coming, but wow, that was good stuff. I don't care who you are. So how are you doing? Like how are you really doing right now? Like on a scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied are you with how your life is going right now? A One being, if I was any lower, I'd be a hundred feet underground. And a ten being, if I was any better, I I, I would be in heaven, right? And so on a count of three, after I say three, shout out your number of how satisfied you are right now with your life. One, two, three, six. All right. Now on a count of three, shout out what you would like that number to be. One, two, three. Ten. Anybody said less? I'm sorry. You're in the wrong place. We're in church. And do you believe it's possible that how you feel that your satisfaction level could actually change because you are in this room this morning, worshiping God and encountering His Word? I mean, are we just a bunch of people gathered in a building, singing some songs, listening to a guy speak for... 40 or so minutes, and I apologize if you got used to our guest speakers, 20 minutes is not me, never will be, right? Just a bunch of people nodding their heads and then going out to grab some lunch. Is that all we are? Or is there something going on in this room right now that is so much more than what we can see with our physical eyes? Like, are we really in the presence of God, the maker of heaven and earth? And in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And is God's Word really living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to judge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts, equip us for every good work, and grow us up in our salvation? And is the Holy Spirit, really here as Jesus promised, longing to move in and among us right now? So is there more going on? in this room right now, a more that has a power to make a difference. A more that has a power to change us. I mean, I asked myself this morning, hopefully there is, is there more going on than just the words that I I threw down on paper, right? I sure hope there is. I hope there's more than just the effort that I put into this message. I hope the Holy Spirit is ready to, to use it for His honor and His glory. So what I want you to do right now is to we're not going to do it out loud, so you don't have to freak out. Is you're going to pray to the person to your right and left. If there's no one to your right and left, just pick somebody, right? And I want you to pray that they will encounter God in a real intangible way this morning. I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit will, will enable them to hear God's voice above all the noise so that they can live the life that they're created to live. You know, just pray that, that they will leave this place in a few moments. In a few moments, 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 right? <laughs> that they will leave this place in a few moments more satisfied. More soul satisfied than they walked in. So pick out a couple people. Let's just pray for them. Holy Spirit, we need you. And Holy Spirit, I, I pray right now just that you would find a way to speak through me. That we'll all just realize there's so much more going on than a bunch of people sitting in a chair in a building in Charlottesville, Virginia. That something really can happen, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And how you long to move in our lives to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're, we're in this series called Powerful Passages, and there's a lot to choose from, right? A bunch of them, right? And so I, I had a passage all picked out this week, and I was ready to dive into it until Tuesday morning. And on Tuesday morning, our Bible reading and our faith from airplane was Revelation chapter 22, and as I read Revelation chapter 22, I, I felt convinced and compelled that God had a different conversation that he wanted to share with us and with me and with you this morning. Here, here's some of what John writes. He's getting these powerful visions of reality. <laughs> then he showed me the river of living water, sparkling like crystal, flowing from the throne of God, and of the lamb down the middle of the broad street of the city. The tree of life was on both sides of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. Man, we could use some healing today. And there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God of the Lamb will be in the city, and His slaves will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Night will no longer exist, and people will not need lamplight or sunlight, because the Lord will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. Then He said to me, these words are faithful and true. And down to verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Both the Spirit and the bride say, come. Anyone here should say, come. And the one who is thirsty should come. Whoever desires should take the living water as a gift. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would move in a powerful way today. Lord, that we would drink living water and find the satisfaction that we truly need. Protect us from the enemy who wants us to live a distracted, dissatisfied life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one of God's prophets about 2,500 years ago, hey, guy, wrote the following you have planted much but have harvested little you eat but you do not become full you drink but you are still thirsty you put on clothes but you are not warm enough we can relate to this one right you earn money but then you lose it as if you had put holes as if you had put it into a purse full of holes you expect much but see it turned out to be to be little that, that's a pretty graphic picture of a dissatisfied life, right? No matter how much they ate, no matter how much they drank, no matter how much they earned, it was never enough. They were never satisfied. And whenever they expected something to give them what they needed, they always came up short and empty. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. It turned out to be little. Or as the prophet. Mick Jagger proclaimed in 1965, they can't get no satisfaction. And we're live, and you all going to help me because I got the words up here? And I was going to put the YouTube video on, but then they drop us off Facebook and the billions of people around the world tune in, could not hear us, right? And and so, you all Ready? Who's going to sing? This is church karaoke time with no music. Anybody singing with me? All right. Me and another old guy. (laughs) Me and three old guys. Me and four old guys. All right. Do I have five old guys? I got five old guys. All right. You ready? (laughs) One, two, three. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Satisfaction Because I try and I try and I try and I try (laughs) Satisfaction Alright, next slide We're not done We're not done Ready, one, ready One, two, three I'm driving in my car (laughs) And the man come on the radio He's telling me some more and more about some useless information it's supposed to fire my imagination fire the singer that's what we need to do alright <laughs> that, that was pretty good wasn't it alright that was fun that's for me uh, you said that it a lot. it's like hey if you can't have fun in church right I don't know where you can. I think for the most part, we live in a dissatisfied world. I mean, think about the people that you work with, that you live with, that you encounter, that you see on social media or that you see in your bathroom mirror. Like, how content and satisfied are they really? We live in a world filled with dissatisfied, discontent. I made up a word, dishappy. I mean, if if you can discontent, and dissatisfied, I say you can dishappy. We have some dishappy people in our world. Even our churches are filled with dissatisfied people. And maybe there's a few out here in this room today who would say, you know what? I'm still thirsty. I'm still not satisfied, though I try and I try and I try. I, Jesus, sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. Both the Spirit and the bride say, come. Anyone here should say, come. And the one who is thirsty should come. Whoever desires should take the living water as a, as a gift. Somebody say, as a gift. As a gift. And Here's how I, I want to attack our text this morning. Three questions. Why we can't get no satisfaction. Where we can get real and lasting satisfaction. And what should we do with his living water? And remember, we're so much more than a group of people in a room listening to a guy talk singing a bunch of songs. We're in the very presence of God, his word, his son, and his spirit. Therefore, you should expect something to happen. And here's the deal. With God and with his word, if you expect little, if you listen little, if you engage little, if you believe little, you will get little. But if in the next few moments, if you, if you expect much, if you believe much, if you listen much, if you engage much, you can expect much because our God is much. Amen? Amen? You get what you put into it, y'all. It's not on me, it's on you. It's on you. It's not on me. Well, maybe someone's on me. Why we can't get no satisfaction? Three reasons. Number one, because we're drinking from broken cisterns. The valve shouldn't be there. I forgot to take it out. A cistern is like a, it's like a large hole dug in the ground. It's different than a well because all it does is collect rainwater. It doesn't tap into an underground water source. And listen, in Jeremiah chapter 2, God gives a word to his people about cisterns that are broken and also about living water. He says this, Jeremiah 2, verses 12 and 13. Be horrified at this heavens. Be shocked and utterly appalled. Man, this is the Lord's declaration. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns. That cannot hold water. And what were their two sins? They have forsaken God, the spring of living water, and they dug and worked hard. They tried and they tried, digging their own cisterns, but they were broken and they could not hold water. Now, one of the commentaries I read this week, the author, James E. Smith, as I happen to be my Old Testament professor, he said this, a cistern in antiquity had three fundamental deficiencies. Uh, The best cisterns in Palestine, even if they were cut in solid rock, were prone to crack, causing the water to leak out. Number two, he said, even if by constant care you could get the water to stay in there, the water pretty much tasted like dirt and was often full of worms. Number three, a cistern at best was limited in its water supply. So therefore, in a long drought, it would fail to provide life-giving water. Now question, who in their right mind... We prefer drinking this unwholesome and inadequate water supply that leaks, that not only tastes nasty, but has nasty things in it. And that when you need it the most, fails to deliver what you need over drinking from a spring of living water. Which kind of looks like this. Think of another picture here. Like, if you were thirsty, like, what would you choose? Who's going for the sister? Anybody? Who has gone for the cistern in their own life? Like, who has gone to broken cisterns thinking that that a relationship, that money, that possessions, that success, that accomplishments, that fame, that applause, that pleasure, that good times would be the answer to give them satisfaction? Like, seriously, be real, y'all. W- what broken cisterns are, are, are you drinking from? And our sin, the things aren't necessarily bad. They're going to become bad when you look for life in them rather than life in God. Get it? Good. Even the wisest guy who ever lived had this problem, right? I mean, Solomon drank for the broken sisters of education, pleasure, wealth, wine, accomplishment, acquiring stuff, looking for life and satisfaction to them. He writes this in Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 11. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, you ever been here? It was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. You know, I've always loved these words in Isaiah chapter 55, 1 through 3. You need to highlight those in your Bible. This is God's invitation to the people back then and to us today. Come, anyone who's thirsty, come to the waters, and you without money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Whew! Why do you spend money, why do you spend all your effort on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Now God says this because some of you aren't paying attention. (laughs) Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the riches of fair. Give ear and come to me, hear me. And you may live. A second reason why we can't get no satisfaction is because we have bought into the myth of more. It's this idea or belief that if we just had more of something or someone, then we would be satisfied and fulfilled and happy. It's the myth of thinking that we're just one purchase, one big check, one promotion, one relationship, one accomplishment, one good time, one gut-busting experience for lasting contentment and satisfaction. And here's the deal, when, when, when you believe in the myth of more, your life will be spent pursuing the next thing. It might be a newer car, higher paying job, a bigger house or better relationship. It might be depending on your age, the newest gaming system, a, a house on the beach or at the lake or a ticky, tickle me Elmo, right? But whatever it is, we're hoping that the next thing will be it and that our thirst will be quenched. And that will last, have true satisfaction for our souls. And for a few minutes or a few days or maybe a few weeks, we experience soul satisfaction drinking a cup of coffee on the balcony of our beachfront condominium. Then it wears off. And, brothers and sisters, it always wears off. Yet, the crazy and insane thing is that even though we're still thirsty, even though the bigger and better sister did not quench her thirst, it does not stop us from our unrelenting belief in pursuit of more. We just had more. A guy named Michael Drazen wrote a book several years back about a guy who is uh, synonymous with hunger for more. He writes, all he ever wanted was more. He wanted more money, so he turned inherited wealth into a billion dollars worth of assets. He wanted more fame, so he broke into the Hollywood scene and soon became a film producer and star. He wanted more thrill, so he designed and built and piloted the fastest airplane in the world. He wanted more power, so he secretly dealt political favors so skillfully that two presidents were his pawns. All everyone was more. He was absolutely convinced that more would bring him contentment. Unfortunately, history shows otherwise. He died emaciated, colorless, sunken skin. His fingernails resembled grotesque long corkscrews. Many of his teeth were nothing more than dark, rotten stumps. And he had countless needle marks all over his body because of his drug addiction. Howard Hughes walked around nearly naked most of the time with his beard and hair to his waist. He lived in darkness. He wore rubber clothes. He sterilized everything in his junk-filled room. He Spent most of his time watching old movies and drinking soup. He talked on the phone for 10 to 15 hours a day. He was so lonely. Howard Hughes died weighing 95 pounds. He died that way because he believed in the myth of more. If I just had more, I'd be satisfied. He died a billionaire junkie, insane, by all reasonable standards. Let me ask you, if Howard Hughes pulled off one more deal make one more million, experience one more thrill, would it ever have been enough? No, it wouldn't. Understand, the way to satisfaction is not getting more. No matter what that more is, and no matter how noble you may think that more is, unless that is you want more of God. Amen? Didn't work for Howard Hughes, didn't work for Solomon. It is not will not work for you. More is not the answer. Look at three people and tell them more is not the answer. And you're thinking, why did I come to church today? Because I was going to make that big purchase after church, and now I can't, because she just told me more is not the answer. Right? And let me put it this way. Have you ever had poison ivy, experienced sugars, or had a really bad rash? Right? If, if so, you probably learned this lesson right here. No one ever made an itch go away by getting really good at scratching, right? Right? It's the same with the myth of more, right? It's just not going to work. The more you scratch it, the more you're going to want. The more you're going to want. A third reason we we can't get no satisfaction is because we're created to find our greatest satisfaction in God. God tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. God has placed within the heart of every human being a a desire, a thirst that streams out to be satisfied, a desire for relationship, for meaning, for purpose, for love, for acceptance, for significance, for peace and contentment. And listen, that desire, your desire for acceptance, your desire for purpose, your desire for relationship, your desire for significance, peace, and contentment can only be met in Him. And listen, God often actively opposes people, his people, when they try to find satisfaction in places other than him. Remember that passage we read earlier from um, Haggai, chapter 1, about planting much, but harvesting little, eating and still being full, drinking but being thirsty, spending much but it turning out to be little? Well, in the very next verse, God kind of lets us in on what was one of the causes for all those problems and dissatisfaction in real life. Hey, Guy, chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord of hosts says this Think carefully about your ways. You expected much, but then it turned out to be little. When you brought the harvested house, I ruined it. Why? This is the direct of the Lord. Because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. Why? Because so many other things you say are more important than me. Have more value than me. You've neglected me. You've neglected my house. So you must be looking for fulfillment in these other things. So on, a, on your account, the skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. I summon a drought on the fields and the hills, on the grain, new wine, olive oil, and whatever the ground yields, on man and beast and on all that your hands produce. Now, now why, why would God oppose his people trying to find satisfaction and other things. Is he mean? Is he arrogant? Is he self-centered? Is he, is he a narcissist? No. It's because God knows that these other things cannot save us and that these other things will never give us true and lasting satisfaction because you were created to find your greatest satisfaction in God. You may want to write this down. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Amen. Come, everyone who's thirsty, come to the waters. And you without money, come by and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money on what is not food, and your wages, on what is not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And your soul the delight in the riches of fair. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that you may live. Next, where can we find real and lasting satisfaction? Well, we know the answer, at least, right? We're in church. It's Jesus. We know that. The problem is, simply knowing that is not enough. Like, does anyone here know that they should eat well and exercise and floss their teeth, right? How's that working out for you? We got a scale in the back if you need one, right? My scale ticked me off this morning. i wanted to break that sucker. I found a way to lose weight that wasn't fun. If you want to gain weight, give me a call, steve at org. He's like, are you kidding me? I was so angry at my scale. Don't step on it if you don't want the truth, right? Don't read God's word if you don't want the truth, right? He's going to tell you like it is. And and simply knowing, oh yeah, I know I got to come to Jesus. Well, there's, there's two passages in John I, I want to briefly share. One's very familiar to you. It's a, Encounter he had with a woman at a well, a woman who spent much of her life drinking from broken cistern after broken cistern after broken cistern. You see, she thought that a relationship with a guy would quench her thirst. If I just had the right relationship. So she tried and she tried and she tried, but she couldn't get any satisfaction. Five failed marriages. And now she's living with a guy who won't even give give her his name. I mean, you would think after five marriages, you would think that she would learn her lesson, right? Seriously, this is not working for you. But listen, before you and I get all judgmental on her, are we, are you, am I, drinking from a broken cistern, still thinking, still hoping, still wanting it to satisfy the deep thirst in our lives? John 4, beginning to verse 3, so Jesus left Judea because... Things were kind of heating up there. And he went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. It was hot. When a two women came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy food. I think he sent them because he didn't want them there for this. <laughs> Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. They hated each other, and they hated each other for centuries. The Jews so looked down on Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. In other words, if you knew who you were talking to, And if he knew all the things he could do, he wouldn't ask for something so small. I think we fall into the same trap, right? You're talking to God. (laughs) You're talking to the maker of heaven and earth. And that's all you're asking for? You don't think I can do more in your life and more through your life? Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. Amen. We know that to be true. I definitely know it. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Is Jesus a liar? That's what he's saying, right? Right? If you want life and satisfaction in me, you will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to them, sir, give me this water. (laughs) Give it to me so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Where can we get satisfaction, right, in Jesus and coming to him when we're thirsty The next passage is in John chapter 7, 37 through 39. It it, it takes place during the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a seven-day feast that celebrated the end of harvest and commemorated the time that God provided for his people in the wilderness during those 40 years. Here's what we read, John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, and understand for the for the past seven days, what happened in this festival? A, a, a priest would uh, would basically take a a, a picture and he would walk from the temple to the Pool of Siloam. And he would fill that with water. And as he's doing that, the crowd would follow him, dancing and celebrating, reciting Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. With joy, we will draw water from the wells of salvation. And he gets the water from there, and he comes with the water. They're all singing and celebrating. He comes to the altar, and he pulls on the altar. And every day, for seven days, he would walk down and draw water with people celebrating, and come back and dump it out. And so Jesus, playing off that public celebration... He stands up and shouts about living water. See, the the water was symbolic of how God provided for them with water from the rock in the desert. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, a scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And John adds commentary, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Let anyone, so it's it's an open invitation, who is thirsty, like we're all thirsty, come to me and what? Not just come to me, come to me and drink. Like Like I have a bottle of water right here, and it hasn't done me a bit of good for thirst right now. I can come to this. I can say, I love this water. I believe in this water. This is water that will quench my thirst, right? But unless I drink it, right? It doesn't mean no good. So you don't just come to Jesus. You don't come just to him. You come and you what? You drink. You take him in. Whoever believes in me, rivers of liver water will flow from within. By this he meant the Holy Spirit. Where can we get real and lasting satisfaction in Jesus? I know it's a Sunday school answer, but it doesn't mean it's not true. The one who gives us fullness of life and in his living water. And do you, you've tried so many things and you're still thirsty, right? Ain't it worth a shot to say, no, I'm not going to keep looking to relationships, promotions, applause, people's opinion of me for satisfaction and meaning and contentment. I, I'm going to figure out how to find it in Jesus, right? And you go, I don't, if you say, oh, I don't know how to do it, guess what? If you pray and seek God, he's going to tell you how to do it, right? Because he wants to fill you up. And then what should we do with the living water? And this is that passage I read this week. Both the spirit and the bride, who's the bride? I'm a good-looking bride, so are you, right? Both the spirit, the bride's the church. Say, come. Anyone here should say, come. The one who's thirsty should come. Whoever desires should take the living water as a gift. So number one, we should receive it as a gift, right? Receive the living water, which is the Holy Spirit, as a gift. Peter talked about it when he preached the first gospel sermon. When they heard this, the gospel preached by Peter they came under deconviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, I think there's a word missing there. No, re- repent, Peter said to them, "He baptized baptize each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children for all far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So Peter is saying that When we repent and are baptized, we receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I like what Francis Chan writes in his book, Forgotten God. You may want to check that out. Here's what he says I think it's needless for us to debate about when the Holy Spirit becomes a part of someone's life. My own life was the one I first prayed as a kid and believed I was speaking to someone. Was it in junior high when I raised my hand after hearing an evangelist who literally scared the hell out of me? Was it when I got baptized? Was in high school when I actually had a personal relation with Jesus? Could have been in college when I came forward at a charismatic Bible study to receive the Spirit? Or was it later in life when I chose to surrender my life more fully to Jesus? He goes on, we can easily fall into the trap of fixating on these questions and miss the crux of Peter's message in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. When I was preaching to this passage in my church, my seven year old daughter, Mercy, understood. She came to me afterwards and said, Dad, I want to repent of my sins and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. I love her simplicity and greatness of her faith. She didn't need to debate the finer points of how and when the, exactly the Holy Spirit would come. She just wanted to obey the passage to the best of her ability. I realize mercy doesn't have the biblical knowledge many of us do, but I wonder how many of us have the faith she has. Then he says, is that your response to the word? Is it clear to you that you're supposed to repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit? If so, have you done it? If not, what keeps you from doing it today? And I love what he says here. Why do we sometimes feel that we need to debate this endlessly, running through every possible hypothetical situation, and answering every theological question first, when we simply should respond to the truth as we have heard it, and then work through our questions from there? Amen? I mean, just don't debate it. Peter said it. I don't care what anybody else says. Peter said it. He said, repent, be baptized and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Receive it as a gift, a gift that, among other things, assures us of our salvation, comforts us when we are hurting, guides us on which path to walk, helps us to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, convicts us of our sins, confirms in us that we really are God's children, thus we can cry out, Abba, Father, pours out God's love into us, giving us hope, Helps us in our weakness, prays for us when we can't pray for ourselves, works in us to help us live a life just like Jesus lived when he walked this earth, develops in us his fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Develops them in us so that they can flow out from us and brings us life and freedom. Where the Spirit is, there is freedom. Receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. And then proclaim the invitation. Proclaim the invitation. And first I'm going to say this. There's a guy named, maybe you heard of a guy named Paul. And and, and like he, he drank the living water. And He went to Jesus. Here's what he said. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have Plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any in every situation. Anybody there? Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can endure all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul said, hey, I learned a secret. It's not a 100-page book, you know. It's simply finding contentment in Jesus and then proclaimed the invitation. This is pretty cool. You see during the, because remember the spirit and the bride say come. We're saying come. this invitation. Right? And, and, and during the Feast of Tabernacles, a, a, a chapter, in, a passage in Ezekiel. Haggai and Ezekiel. You know you've had church when you've been in Haggai and Ezekiel, right? He, Ezekiel chapter 47, 1 through 12. They would read this during the Feast of Tabernacle. And what it is, it's a a picture of water flowing from the Messianic kingdom, from the church flowing out into the world. The Holy Spirit that's in the the church flowing out into the world. Flowing out rivers of life and hope and peace and grace and freedom. And and so here's this vision. This is the living waters welling up inside of them. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east for the temple faced east. The water was coming down under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate facing east and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measure line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubics. Cubic is like, right, right. Tip of finger to your elbow, right? So that's about 1,750 feet. And then he led me to water that's now ankle deep. See, this water is getting deeper. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through the water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to my waist. He he measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen, was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. Wherever this river flows, it's bringing life. There'll be large numbers of fish, the Dead Sea, Because this water flows there and makes the salty water fresh. So, listen to this. So where the river flows, everything will live. Where the river flows, where God's spirit that's in God's people begins to flow out of them into this world, wherever the church touches, wherever the lives of Christians live in the best they can like Jesus touches, things will live. And fishermen will stand along the shore from the Engadi to the In Eglum, there they'll be placed in their nests. The fish will be many kinds like the fish in the Mediterranean Sea. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both sides of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fall. Every month they'll bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. The fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. See, we're to proclaim the invitation to a broken, thirsty world. To a world that can't get no satisfaction, that they can come and drink from Jesus and find satisfaction for their souls. Both the spirit and the bride say, come. Anyone here say, come. And the one who is thirsty. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Are you, thirsty? Are you, thirsty? Are you looking for life and meaning and fulfillment and other things? And just are dissatisfied and not content. Anyone who's thirsty should come. And drink freely from the living water that's out there. Amen? Amen. And the more we drink it, the more it flows out of us. And this world who is looking and digging in so many different places can find life. I just love that picture. Here's the Dead Sea. You know some dead things. Dead Sea is like we're talking dead, 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 right? Like, like uh, my son John could never float in water. Like he would always sink no matter what he ever tried to try to float. When he went to the Dead Sea, he couldn't go underwater, right? Because the salt content is so high. I mean, he could not <clears throat> he could not get under the water. There's no life there. But and sometimes in our world we see like there's no life there. There's no life in this person. Or maybe you look in the mirror you say, there's no life there. Well, guess what? Wherever this river flows, it brings life with it all the time. Amen? Stand and pray with me as we prepare for communion. Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence. Lord, forgive me for my sin of forsaking you at times the spring of living water and being such an idiot, digging a broken cistern that cannot hold water. When there you are, with arms wide open, wanting to receive me and accept me, all I have to do is come. Come and drink of you. God, I pray for everyone in this room because I know I'm not the only one who struggles with this looking for life and all the wrong cisterns. God, help us right now to come to you, unashamedly come to you. In Jesus' name, amen.